Global Crisis Bible Prophecy Health and Preparedness You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch Father in heaven, we ask for a deeper understanding of your will and a greater and clearer conception of Jesus Christ, that we would understand truth and love and grace and peace in this time of deception and violence. We pray for a peace that transcends all understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I am Scott Ritzema again for a 30-minute news broadcast and a time where, as I've been just scanning the news from the weekend, eight people stabbed in Minnesota by another person motivated by just false religion and hate and violence of the devil. He was shouting about Allah as he attacked these people. Uh, The assailant was shot to death by a citizen with a gun, but then also 29 people injured in an IED-style bomb that went off in New York City. Three bombs total, actually, were planned to go off. Two of them went off, one injured 29, the other nobody, apparently, and then one more that didn't go off. That was a pressure cooker type of bomb. So you see violence and civil unrest and evil rising in this world, which not only reminds us of Bible prophecy that said that this would take place, but it also tells us urgently of the need for Jesus Christ in our lives. That is the solution to all of this. The Prince of Peace, the one who said, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemies, Jesus who preaches the very character of God and then not only preaches it, but delivers it to us through his shed blood on the cross, living a perfect life of other-centeredness. I mean, if we start to grasp the character of God and apply it in our lives, it changes everything. But sadly, the road to destruction is wide and many enter through it. In fact, speaking of death, AFP reports a terminally ill 17-year-old has become the first minor to be euthanized in Belgium since age restrictions on such killings in the country were lifted in 2014. It was learned Saturday. So you heard that a 17-year-old was euthanized. The, the, The quote goes like this, the euthanasia has taken place. Jacqueline Herremans, a member of Belgium's Federal Euthanasia Commission, told AFP. She added that the assisted death had taken place according to Belgian law. Wim Distelmans, head of the Euthanasia Commission, gave no details of the minor involved, beyond saying that it was an exceptional case of a child with a terminal illness, the Het Newsbald newspaper reported. VRT Public Television said that the incident involved an adolescent who was about to turn 18. Fortunately, there are very few children who are considered for euthanasia, he told the newspaper. But that does not mean we should refuse them the right to a dignified death. Can you make sense of that? 
according to any logical or moral perspective. What did we just read? Somebody has a right to a, quote, dignified death, suicide, assisted by another person. It reminds me of King Saul, who was not dignified but disgraceful in the fact that he was about to be killed by his enemies. And he said to his armor bearer, run me through, assisted suicide, the right to a death that is, quote, dignified. No, this was a shameful violent violation of the sixth commandment prohibition against killing people. Now, of course, we have animals, so we'd put them out of their misery if that would be um, uh, the right thing to do in certain situations. But a human being is something completely altogether different. Although, according to the worldly perspective, not so because we are just evolved animals. But we know that the human soul, the human person made in the image of God has a, a life within them that reflects the divine, that is a gift from the divine, and that has absolutely infinite value to it. God himself is the only one who can say, I give life and I take away, for the Lord giveth and he taketh away, right? Just as he gave Adam life by breathing him to him, the breath of life, so God, the, the, the breath of life also returns to God who gave it upon death. He takes it away, in other words. That's his prerogative when he sent the flood and he sent the destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He is a completely, fully, purely, 100% loving God who is just and all-knowing and the only one that can be trusted with that authority, that power, that that just beyond us thing about people dying. But you have human societies bringing this in now and calling it a right and celebrating it. Oh, this child had a right to this death as well. Speaking of children, the attack upon children. I mean, you know about Herod. You know about Pharaoh. In the Bible times, the attack upon children was absolutely vicious and violent. Small children thrown into the, the Nile River. Herod told his henchmen, his, his executed executioners to go out in and around Bethlehem and kill every child aged two years old and younger. But today, you know that one in five children doesn't make it out of the womb alive. We're talking about tens of millions of babies who've been killed. But the devil doesn't leave it there. Once a baby is born, well, of course, we can't allow, says the enemy, children to be raised in a godly home, to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and to become missionaries and to reflect him in a, in a godly family, which is the most powerful sermon that can ever be preached. So he goes after the children through media, through worldly schooling, to try to access them, to capture their minds, to divert their course away from Jesus Christ, away from their parents, away from their family and the love of the Bible into every form of deception and mind manipulation you can imagine. And so with that as the backdrop, on Friday, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, author of It Takes a Village, said the following. This election is about who will have the power to raise our children for the next four years of their lives. I hope that when you heard that just now, or if you heard that last week, 
that that sent chills down your spine to realize the significance of that statement. That a president of the United States, regardless of what their worldview might even be, would have the power to shape your children for the next four years of their lives. That not only is creepy, but just violently unconstitutional because Article 2 of the Constitution, which gives the president his powers, doesn't mention anything about the president having the power to shape the characters of the children of the country. That's not in there. But in the new era of the imperial presidency, where the Constitution itself and religious freedom and the family are all out of style, coming in is the new power to shape the children for the next four years of their lives. Notice it said the power to shape our children. So from the perspective of the politicians, from the state, from the elite, from the media, from the schools, you name it, your children are not yours. They, are the, they belong to the collective, our children. And I speak with such strong language as, uh, on this as a father, as somebody who travels around speaking to schools, speaking to churches about the importance of the sanctity and the sacredness of the family circle and how that, there must be a guard set about, uh, a shield of protection against the onslaught of the enemy against our homes and against our children. To know that there is not only a social agenda, a sexual agenda, a scientific Darwinistic agenda, but even a polit- from the political mouthpieces of our age, we hear, these are our children. Now, that's an actual quote, not from Hillary Clinton, but from Melissa Harris-Perry on MSNBC. She came out and said, for far too long, we've had this idea that children belong to their families. Well, we've got to get past that and realize these are our children. The collective, she said, that's her word. She says, we need a collective view of parenting. That should shock and horrify us to the point where we say, you've heard the phrase, out of the cities, out of the cities, right? So this is one of, one of the greatest books ever written on country living about how prudent it is, how wise it is, how healthy and moral it is to bring up your children in the country, out of the cities. Well, when I hear statements like this from Hillary Clinton and Melissa Harris-Perry, it makes me say, out of the village, out of the village, families, parents, I'm speaking of the proverbial village here, the collective, it takes a village to raise a child, as we've been told. No, it takes a godly two-parent male-female home to raise a child. That's God's institution. And of course, we utilize the blessing of, of the church and the broader body of Christ to enhance what it is that we're doing in the home. But it's what happens in the home that counts. It starts and ends with the parents. Don't ever believe this lie that it takes a village, that the collective public, I couldn't believe a statement from Mrs. Clinton when she said that Chicago is her kind of village. And I'm thinking that's the kind of environment and secular society of depravity and violence and corruption and not not to not to criticize any individual in Chicago, but it's not known as the most uh, godly Eden-like home. That's the kind of village that apparently is going to be raising the children. Which reminds me also of the Department of Health and Human Services document and Department of Education document that I detailed last fall, where the federal government has come out and they've said. 
we need to have constant monitoring of all children. And we need to do periodic home visits of children and their families to, to make sure that parents are preparing their small children, preschool aged, toddler aged. In fact, they want to, quote, engage parents even from the age of what they call prenatally so that we can transition them well into the public school system. Read through that. I mean, that document is, it's all a bunch of sort of uh, technical, you know, insider jargon using a lot of flowery language. But you, you, you read phrases like what I just mentioned, constant monitoring of children, periodic home visits, referring them to mental health experts, having universal mental health screenings of every child in America. This is the kind of stuff that's coming down the pike if time would last. And I'm praying that Jesus comes soon because I don't want to see it get to that level. I don't want to see the village raising the children, or they already are raising most of the children of this country, the entertainment industry, the media, with children being raised with screens 24-7 and in desks in the worldly schools where every piece of propaganda is being shoveled at them from a worldly standpoint. And of course, there's good people in public schools as well. I used to be a teacher in public schools. But parents, now more than ever, not only out of the cities, not only out of the village, out of the media, out of the worldly schools, and keep those children in your care and point them to Jesus. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Kids in America now log 53 hours of screen time per week. Yes, that's about eight hours per day. In Europe, it's literally against the law to air television programs on the public airwaves that are aimed at children under three years old. But America's littlest children now spend, on average, 32 hours per week watching TV. It's been estimated that the average child will spend more time watching TV by the age of six than conversing with his father in his entire life. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. And we're back. This is Scott Ritzema with 11th Hour Dispatch. And I have to say, it's a beautiful, beautiful time here in Michigan. September is my favorite month of all. September, the weather gets so nice, so beautiful. It's in the, in the 70s. You start to get the little bit of the breezes of a reminder of the soon coming fall, which is so beautiful. September is my favorite month and my least favorite month. September is also the month where the goldenrod comes out. Beautiful weed. It's got that nice yellow flower at the top of it, but 
I, I get an allergic reaction. You can hear a little bit of congestion there. And so we're going to press on, doing our best as we can here. Hopefully, the Lord can interpret what is being said at times where it might not be as clear. But, you know, September is also my least favorite month for another reason. That's the reason we were just talking about before the break. When I see the school buses starting to run, carrying children away from their homes, from their parents, to be raised by complete strangers in the secular schools of this degenerate age, with every form of immorality and sexual depravity and anti-God, anti-reality and truth and morality, when I, when I hear the, the things that are going on in the schools, it breaks my heart. It boils my blood. I don't know how else to put it other than the way I was saying it before the break. Parents, take ownership of the raising and training and teaching of your children. You are to disciple them. And using a good, godly Christian school where you know the parents and you know the community well, preferably a small school, that that is great. That is a wonderful thing. But there's, there's no place for the Christian child being put in the hands of the enemy, in the hands of Molech, being sacrificed over into this worldly system in the entertainment media and the public schools of our age. I feel strongly about that, voicing some editorial commentary, because from my perspective, as I meet parents and they've made those decisions to take their children home, to homeschool them, to put them in a good Christian school instead of the world, when they start unplugging them from worldly media and start spending time together, the more time together as a family, the better, you start to see unbelievably positive results. I mean, the family starts becoming united. They start, they start talking again. The children's behavior and their their attitude and their relationship with Jesus Christ starts to grow when we bring them in family worship to the foot of the cross at the family altar, and we bring them to the to the time of prayer daily, morning and evening, when we teach them the word of God throughout the day. This is the way that we can know that we are training up a child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he will not turn from it. Let's shift gears into this headline. Bill Clinton predicts global crisis. Well, that one got my attention. Global crisis? That will divide the world. Now, you don't really need to predict it because it's already happening. If you haven't noticed the global crisis of of terrorism and civil unrest and geopolitical strife, if you haven't noticed the global crisis of economic catastrophes around the world, we're kind of stagnating here. If you haven't noticed the global crisis of the moral collapse and the collapse of the family, we're seeing a global crisis. But in the context, he was talking about things on a global level, level that he thinks that his wife, Hillary Clinton, would be the best at handling. But I don't know what he's talking about exactly. What's coming? Is he talking about war? According to one of the uh, the uh, NATO alliance's most senior retired generals, his name is Sir Richard Sharaf, he says NATO risks a nuclear war with Russia within a year if it does not increase its defense capabilities in the Baltic states. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not predicting that. I don't expect that, to be honest with you. I think it would be a few years down the road if we were to see World War III and nuclear war before the final events of Bible prophecy. We know there will be wars and rumors of wars, but we don't know exactly how that will play out or when. But geopolitical analysis that is sober and factual and data-oriented, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, we're going to see this within the next year. But that's what this 
Richard Shereff of the uh, the former most retired general, uh, senior most senior retired generals of NATO, is saying, "Who knows what's coming?" Hillary Clinton recently said, "If there was a cyber attack by Russia, that that would be treated as a declaration of war. In other words, we would be attacking you physically." So maybe that's what Bill Clinton is talking about. Or maybe it's the economic issues. There is already mainstream media is calling it an economic collapse in many areas of the world already. And for much of the rest of the world, stagnation and brinkmanship. We're on the brink of major events economically that they're just kind of trying to hold together, frankly, until the election. And they often try to hold it together for as long as they can. And then when the collapse is precipitated, then... Things will really get interesting. But uh, UK Telegraph reports that the world faces a lost year as policymakers sleepwalk towards fresh crisis. That was what the IMF says. So they're saying that that's the kind of crisis that could be on the horizon. UK Telegraph says exactly this. The world is sleepwalking into a fresh crisis as investors start to lose faith in policymakers' ability to revive the global economy. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. People are wondering, can they hang on? They know they can't because you can't continue to hold something together when the inevitable is coming at some point. The IMF said that the, quote, financial and economic stagnation is going to happen. It's already happening. And they call it a pernicious feedback loop of fragile confidence, weaker growth, low inflation, and rising debt burdens. So this is what the International Monetary Fund is saying is happening and is going to happen. And they're set, this is, by the way, the, one of the most important global economic financial bodies in the world, the International Monetary Fund. Their analysts are saying, watch out for global crisis on that level. So who knows exactly what former President Clinton's referring to, but we've got top generals saying we could have nuclear war in a year and other ones saying that we're in a more dangerous situation for World War III than in the last 60 years. You've got the IMF coming out and warning this and many, many economic forecasters and analysts saying even more alarming things over the past year as well. UK Guardian, by the way, reported how serious the stagnation is that we're already in. I mean, you might not be able to say that officially the globe is in a recession. Certain areas are. Certain areas are growing slowly. But if you look at the vast majority of people, I mean, not just the economic data of the country as a whole or the world as a whole, but individual people, and you look at that in the 25 most advanced countries, and you look at household by household over a decade period of time, over that decade, we're looking at between 65 and 75% of people seeing zero increase in their family income earnings. 70% of people in the UK and the Netherlands uh, have seen no income growth over the past decade. 63% in France, 80% in the United States. Zero income growth for 80% of households over a decade. I mean, that's, that's, that doesn't happen. I mean, that's like Great Depression type of talk right there. Normally, you have, you know, you'll have a little recession. It'll go down, but then you bounce right back and you're way up. Well, we had a huge recession in 08 and 09, and it bounced right back. The stock market went way up after that, but the economy's been stagnating and crawling along at like 1% or 2% growth, less than 1% now. But how about this one? 97% of Italian households seeing zero growth in their income over the last 10 years. 
So that's a pretty interesting one. The IMF also talked about this. They said jitters over the health of the Chinese economy could trigger, quote, a bloodbath, says UK Telegraph, on financial markets if a hard landing materializes. The IMF said policy choices in the world's second largest economy, China, would also have an increasing have increasing implications for global financial stability in the coming years as the country opens up its bond and equity markets. Okay, well, 40% right now of student loan borrowers in America are not making their payments, are not consist keeping up on their payments. So we're living in an increasingly insecure world on every front. But I want to make sure that we don't find insecurity spiritually, because ultimately that's really the only place that matters. Spiritually security, eternal security in Jesus Christ. Because as the world falls apart and you see all the signs of the last days or just run-of-the-mill crisis events of their own accord, you can walk through all of the storms of this world and the storms in your personal life and the storms in, the, in your own family and the storms in your own emotional and mental state and your own just brokenness. And you can walk through that bulletproof. You can walk through that with the peace that transcends, that surpasses, that goes above the storm. When you get in an airplane, right, and you go above the clouds, they're dark and gloomy clouds, and maybe it's a rainstorm, thunderstorm, and you get above those clouds. It's a blue, beautiful day up there all the time. That's what Jesus wants to give us. He wants us to transcend this world. So as we look at the news headlines, the only reason to do that is to allow them to point us to the Bible. Because the Bible said all these things would take place, and it offers the solution. Resting assured in the loving arms of Jesus Christ that we know that we are saved in him because we've been washed clean. We've been taken into his heavenly kingdom. He's gone there to prepare a place for us already. There's a room with your name on it. There's a white stone in heaven with your name written on it, as says in Revelation. Jesus said he's gone to prepare a place for us and he will come back and take us to be with him. Now, this is not everybody in this world. It's everybody in this world who wants to. It's a free invitation. You can go. Do you want to go? Do you want to be in the perfect place, heaven for eternity? It's a a no-brainer, right? But it becomes a difficult conundrum for those of us who have this disease that we were all born with, and that is called sin and selfishness and self-oriented thinking. And I go, I, I've heard the message from the Bible that if I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, then I must repent. I must surrender my cherished idols and sins and pleasures and preferences and selfishness And I have to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, as my reasonable service, my worship to him. Well, that requires a decision, doesn't it? Because we're all sinful. 
The wages of sin is death. And if we don't repent of our sin and receive forgiveness and receive a new heart, then we, then we, then we would perish eternally. I'm talking. That would not be the way we want to go. Jesus says many people will perish. But whosoever believeth in God will not perish. But he will have eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ today? Do you accept him as your personal savior today? And that means rejecting self and being filled with Jesus. Accept that gospel message and you'll know when the crisis happens where you're going afterward. See you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Our masculine nature, which God gave to us to advance his gospel cause and to surround people and the innocent with a cloak of love and protection and provision, it's instead used for conquest, for violence, for competition, for putting down rather than lifting up. This is a very sad thing, but it's part and parcel of the destruction of the family, the destruction of the identity of male and female in marriage and what it means to be male and female. It's under attack from every angle. They're pushing 25 different variations of what gender you might feel today. And if they're not doing that, men are trying to recapture some of their masculinity through counterfeit forms of simulated combat, like professional football. Whatever happened to living biblically? Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.